right, ready on the left. Good afternoon and welcome to the Board of Trustees special meeting of this day, Thursday, August 25th, 2016, four months till Christmas and the holidays. Um, please, Carol Lee, if you'll... Uh, sure, Kelsey Hatfield. Amy Martinson. Here. Dan DeGardi. Joanne Busenbark, Kyle Iverson, Marianne Mancuso. Here. Michael Baldini. Here. Rafael Rios. Here. Very good. Moving on to 1.2, Pledge of Allegiance. I'll ask my fellow respected trustee, Rafael Rios, to lead us. Thank you very much. We're at uh, 1.3. I'm looking for the adoption of this meeting agenda, which is uh, primarily centered around the uh, the budget workshop. So seeing uh, no objections, the agenda is hereby adopted. And moving on to the public comment. Time the board will devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees regarding the subject matter of this meeting over which the board has jurisdiction. Individuals will be limited to a five minute presentation. And Curly, do we have any speaker cards? Is anyone desiring to make a public comment at this time? Please stand up and proceed to the podium. I hear the door. Five, four, two, one. All right. The uh, public comment section is open and closed. Moving right on to the uh, item three, information and discussion items, 3.1, budget workshop, Napa Valley Community College District. 2016-2017 2016-2017 adoption final budget. So good afternoon. I'm Maria Bittenbeck. I am the faculty co-chair for the budget committee. And I, along with Vice President uh, Robert Parker, who is a co-chair on the administrative side for the budget committee, will be uh, doing the budget workshop this afternoon. And just as a little refresher, I know some of you are new. We have a new student um, a representative on on the board. And I want to thank you all for being here. I know it's busy for all of us, but um, we are at the final stages or close to the final stages of our budget process. So part of the budget committee's responsibility is that um, Recommending authority on budget matters rests with the president with final authority to the Board of Trustees. And um, final approval, again, rests with the Board of Trustees. We focus on the institutional budget as a budget committee, not necessarily on unit line items. And I think sometimes that gets a little confusing. We do develop and we go through a process of coming up with a preliminary, a tentative, and then a final budget. And then when the board does approve it, it becomes our adopted budget. So sometimes you may see the terms interchanged, but we're at the final budget state of 
doing this workshop, I believe you'll take it under consideration for both in the September meeting and then um, hopefully have an adopted budget after that. Again, the recommendation goes to the president and um, the allocations for resources. We make sure on the budget committee side that it does is consistent with our vision, mission, and the strategic institutional plans, which are started and the process goes through through the planning committee. They do have planning priorities that we work with to um, get our budget together. I'm going to turn it over to Bob Parker so he can go over the rest of the budget. Thank you. Thanks, Maria. And so what we're presenting to you tonight is the same presentation that we did um, that the the uh, budget committee reviewed last week and that we presented to the campus community at a campus forum on Tuesday. And you will see as we look through the uh, final, and we're calling it, as Maria said, we're calling it the final budget. It will become, because this is the final budget that we'll be presenting to the board for the 16-17 fiscal year, once you hopefully approve it at the September board meeting, then it becomes the adopted budget. And that's what you will, that's the way that you will see it referred on to on all of the documents that we present uh, following adoption of the budget. So just a little background, and you saw the first part of this timeline when we talked about the tentative budget uh, back in May. And so these are the steps that we went through this year in order to prepare the budget that you're seeing tonight. Uh, we do, as a budget committee, we've made a commitment to extend this timeline for development of the 17-18 budget so that there will be more time for individual units to develop their unit plans and for the area councils to review them uh, so that there, there was a feeling and, and a justified feeling that the 16-17 budget development process was a little compressed and that uh, people need a little more time to work on it. And so we commit to doing that going forward. But you approved planning priorities in February, approved our budget development values and assumptions in February. We kicked it off with an orientation. Unit plans came in. Area councils reviewed them. Cabinet reviewed the recommendations from the area councils. The business office prepared the tentative budget. Budget committee reviewed it. It was presented to the campus community on May 19th and presented to you on May 25th. You approved the tentative budget on June 9th. And then in August, on August 2nd to be exact, the Chancellor's Office of the California Community Colleges conducted their northern state budget workshop. And this is where we get final information based on the budget that was adopted uh, in June by the state legislature and the impact that that budget has on California community colleges. And you'll see in a minute as we look at the assumptions that we used for developing the tentative budget and then the assumptions that underlie or the actual uh, uh, allocations that underlie the final budget, that there was very little change between the tentative budget and the final budget. So we had our first, uh, our final budget workshop, I'm sorry, was presented to the campus community on Tuesday of this week. So we had the members of the budget committee 
as well as members of the campus community invited to review what you're seeing tonight. At the end of that meeting, the Budget Committee voted to forward this proposal to the President and to you for review tonight. And so we are conducting our final budget workshop with you tonight, and then this will come back to you at the September 8th meeting for approval or adoption of the final budget. Now, the planning committee set five planning priorities. We've looked at these before. I'll just touch on them briefly. These, most of these planning priorities or all of these planning priorities were tied to the report that we got as a result of our accreditation visit. And so planning priorities, and these were the areas, if you were asking for a budget augmentation, this is what you would tie that augmentation to. What will it do to help us achieve these five planning priorities? So using the results of student learning outcomes, facilitating a seamless progression of students through the college, evaluating in, and improving instruction and services at off-site locations, evaluating the effectiveness of institutional planning processes, and then finally developing an integrated resource planning system. So those were the five planning priorities. Our assumptions for the tentative budget, and they held true uh, for, from the state budget workshop, there is no cost of living increase being given to California community colleges. Growth funding of 2%, however, is being allocated to each of the colleges. NVC will get a share, potentially, of that growth funding. We did not include a projection for any growth, however, in this budget. And that's because, as an institution, we failed to meet our base uh, for 15-16. We fell short a little bit of our base. And so where we are right now is in a position where we will be looking to build back up to that base. And we believe that that, and discussing it with the Budget Committee and the campus community, we believe that that is a more realistic goal than to also include that 2% growth. Um, and so we didn't include that 2% growth, even though there is a portion of that that is allocated to us. And then finally, there was an increase in base funding across the board of $75 million. So in terms of our FTES projections that we used to develop this budget, what you see in front of you, these were the actual FTES, uh, the actual number of FTES that we achieved in 13-14. Then we have our 14-15 actuals, our 15-16 budget, and our 16-17 final budget. And you see that our 16-17 final budget mirrors or copies the numbers that were used for the 15-16 budget. And the reason for this is that we didn't quite achieve those targets for 15-16, and so we are keeping them as the targets moving into 16-17. When you look at those numbers, those numbers then determine what our allocation or how much money we receive, what our allocation is from the state or how much money we are allowed to earn in what is our basic apportionment. And for 1617, that is based on a payment or an earning of 5000 just a little over $5,000 per credit FTES, 
approximately $3,000 per non-credit FTES, and then non-credit CDCP, or career development and college preparation classes, are also paid at the same level or earned at the same level as credit. So that same, just a little over $5,000. And the when we look at NVC, our non-credit, that base $3,000 per FTES, our non-credit is primarily our DSPS educational program. We have a small number of non-credit CDCP, and CDCP means a series of classes, at least two, that are, that are grouped together to allow someone to earn a certificate either in a career development area, like uh, a career technical education, or college preparation, which would primarily be basic skills classes, English as a second language, things of that nature. The classes that we offer at uh, Napa Valley College that qualify under career development and college preparation are some classes in our adult basic education program. Now, we also receive an apportionment for operation of the college and operation of the Upper Valley campus as well. And so you will see that for the college in the 16-17 final budget, it's about $3.6 million to operate the college. Notice it says less than or equal to 9,660 FTES. That's where we fall. If we were up in the 10,000 range, then there'd be a little, a little more money coming in to support the college. But because of our FTES generation, it's $3.6 million. For the Upper Valley campus, and notice it says center there, but we talked about this at the tentative budget. The state refers to these as education centers. Um, Upper Valley campus is in the 500-plus range for educational centers, and in 1617, that would uh, uh, result in funding of a little over $600,000. Now, in the uh, uh, for the Upper Valley Campus or those centers, the benchmarks are over 250, over 500, over 750, and then it caps at a thousand. And so, in 1516. We achieved that benchmark of 500. We reported about 560 FTES for the Upper Valley Campus. We expect to do the same or a little bit more this year in 1617. Uh, so when we received the unit plans asking for augmentations or additional allocations, these were the funding priorities that came up, and these funding priorities were all linked to those five planning priorities. So the desire for additional funding in professional development, coverage of cost increases like utilities and membership fees, instructional supplies and materials, technology needs both hardware and software, and then equipment repairs and replacements on campus. And I'm happy to say that through a combination of various funding sources that are available to us, both the general fund on restricted budget as well as some categorical funds like this uh, student success support program or triple SP funding and student equity funding, we are able, and I should mention AEBG, the adult education block grant, 
we were able to fulfill these uh, 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 the requests in these areas that came up through the area councils. Now let's spend a minute talking about state apportionment. We have discussed at previous board meetings the idea of Napa Valley College approaching what used to be called basic aid is now called community-supported status. And community-supported status just means that when you take that FTES number for credit, for non-credit, and for CDCP non-credit, and multiply those numbers by the $5,000 or $3,000, depending on what category it comes in, the state comes up with a dollar amount that is necessary to support the operations of the college. And the funding for those operations, based on that number, comes from three areas. It comes from the enrollment fees that our students pay. It comes from the local property taxes that are designated for use by the college. And then it comes from an allocation from the state, what we refer to as state apportionment. If we look at that allocation for the 16-17 budget year, our total is about $31.8 million. Notice that state general apportionment is reflected at $135,000, the estimate for the 16-17 budget year. That means that the property tax revenue that the state is forecasting for us, along with the student enrollment fees at $46 per unit that we'll collect from our students, gets us very close to achieving that total without additional funding from the state. So our state general apportionment is projected to be $135,000 in fiscal year 1617. If you compare that to where we were in 2010-2011, notice that in 2010-2011 our property taxes were $18 million and state general apportionment was $10 million. So there's been a significant shift in where our funding, uh, where the funding comes from or what provides our funding in recent years. And as property taxes in Napa increase or the amount of revenue from property taxes increases, that will shrink or potentially very shortly eliminate that state general apportionment that we're receiving. So that is the silver lining in the fact that nobody can afford to buy a house in Napa. Well, that's <laughs> that's so. As as long as the values keep going up, that uh, I, I guess that's the uh, that's the um, you know the state's projecting that property tax revenues will increase about eight percent this year. We think that might be a little optimistic. But, uh, but the reality is we are getting very close to, if trends continue, we're getting very close to the point where we might not be receiving or, or where that calculation wouldn't include any state general apportionment. Well, I understand that there's a cap on the state apportionment, but is there a cap on what we can receive in property taxes? There is not. And so, and so, um, we talked about this at the, uh, budget committee meeting and also at the campus forum yesterday because we've 
heard of the districts that have been basic aid for a while or what we now call community supported. And there is kind of a perception that community supported districts have lots of money and that the, um, you know, the streets of the campus will be paved with gold as soon as we achieve community supported status. And hopefully one day we'll get there. But we present Marin's uh, estimate for 1617 to show that maybe the streets are paved with gold at Marin, but they probably won't be for our first couple of years here. Notice that Marin's property taxes exceed the dollar amount that they would need to get to that $5,000 per credit FTES and $3,000 per non-credit by $27 million. Um, where uh, I most recently, I've spent most of my time in San Diego, and the uh, local basic aid or community-supported district in San Diego County is Miracosta. Miracosta College shows a similar excess of property taxes, and so um, it will take us, <clears throat> excuse me, Napa Valley College, a while to get there. Um, there have to be lots of years of 8% increases for us to get there. But is there a benefit to being a community-supported or basic aid district? And the answer is yes, there is, because any increases in property taxes stay with you so that as property taxes go up, those property taxes are earmarked for the community college district. Um, the other thing, if you go back to, let's go back to this 2010, 2011. I'm sorry. sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, but it looks like they don't, they still only have $29 million in revenue. So what happens to those, the $27 million that they go over? Actually, they get to keep that $27 million. So this is just a calculation on the spreadsheets that you receive from the state chancellor's office to show how you would reach the $29 million that they need. Um, they far exceed the $29 million that they need, and so what the state does is, or what the chancellor's office does on their spreadsheets is to subtract out the property tax excess so that the bottom line is that $29.4 or $29.5 million that is that calculation based on the number of FTES and the dollar amount. But in reality, they have the $54 million to spend. In reality, they have the $54 million to spend, yeah. That is correct. One thing that being community-supported does for you is that if there is a downturn in the economy and that downturn has a greater impact on the state budget than it does on local property taxes, what we experienced during the last downturn was the introduction by the state of something we had never, none of us had ever heard of before, which was workload reductions. And the state said, well, you can't serve as many students as uh, you used to serve because there's not as much money available. And that's one way for the state to decrease that amount of state general apportionment that they provide. They just lower the numbers and then the dollar amount changes. What we experienced in San Diego during that time period is that everyone cut classes except Miracosta College, because Miracosta had the excess and they were able to continue funding. 
So in effect, they were drawing students from the other colleges that were forced to cut back because of reductions in state general apportionment. So it is ultimately a good thing for us. There are some restrictions. You know, there are lots of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, rules and regulations around it, but the bottom line is being community-supported means that as those property tax revenues go up, the revenue to the district increases as well. Okay, now we talked about the fact that we didn't meet our FTES or base projections last year, and that's true. We missed our FTES projection by about 69 FTES. If you look at the state's calculation and if you look at our, our uh, reports from the state, it shows about 89 FTES and credit FTES. And the reason for that is that not only did we not quite make our base, but we also saw a shift from credit to regular non-credit, those classes that are reimbursed at a lower rate. And so we only fell short about 61 in our total FTES, but we had more non-credit and less credit. And so from a credit FTES perspective, we fell short by about 88 or 89 FTES. That puts us into what the state refers to as stability or restoration. Now, we don't lose any money this year. We don't lose any money next year, provided we at least achieve the amount that we achieved in 15-16. So that funding will still, we, we get a few years to restore, that's why they call it restoration, to restore back to that um, amount of FTES and that amount of funding that we were given in 15-16. Now, the, I can't call it good news. And in fact, at the um, budget committee, we said we are in company. It's not good company, but 25% of districts up and down the state are in stability or restoration for the 16-17 years. So there are lots of districts in that position. Most of those districts are in Northern California. It seems that student growth is stronger in Southern California than it currently is in Northern California. And if you look, some of those districts that are in restoration are College of Marin. Now, they're basic aid community supported, so it doesn't matter. It just means that they didn't make that they didn't generate as many FTES as the state predicted they would. But also Contra Costa, Foothill De Anza, Solano, and Santa Rosa all are in stability or restoration. So they all failed to meet their FTES target in 1516. Do we, do we know why this is happening in Northern California and not Southern California? Um, I I don't know the answer to that question, no. Now, is there anything that we can do to um, uh, to react to that? And there are some things I know that the Office of Instruction is looking at offering different types of courses, offering more career development and college preparation courses or non-credit courses, that there are ways that we could serve different elements of our population that would allow us to gain back some of that lost FTES. I'm sorry, Kyle. Uh, I got 
one that doesn't always come on. I was going to ask about the state predictions. What influences the predictions that the state makes on FTES, and are they looking at the shift from FTES to career tech and vocational programs? So first of all, they are, and one of the th- one of the things that the Adult um, Education Block Grant or AEBG initiative um, was designed to do was to make sure that community colleges and uh, school districts up and down the state were responding to the needs of adult learners. And so, um, so we are in a partnership with Napa Valley, Napa Valley Unified School District, working with their adult education division. And so making sure that we utilize the strengths of each institution and meet those needs of uh, adult learners. And so one way that the state overall is looking at that shift is to provide the opportunities for us all to work together to make sure that we are addressing the needs of all of the learners in our various communities. The other thing that the state's looking at right now, so we said that so the state allocated about 3% of community college, and I should say the chancellor's office, the California Community College's chancellor's office, um, advocated to allocate about 3% of, uh, or allocate a portion of funding in fifteen sixteen to fund growth of 3% for all of the community college districts throughout the state. Now, it's not unusual for one district to fail to meet their projections, but another district far exceeds their projections. And so what happens at this time of year when the state is looking at what people generated is that there's often a shift. You know, So Napa Valley College didn't achieve its growth, but uh, uh, Irvine Valley College did. And so there's a shift of that growth from Napa to Irvine. What we learned at the state budget workshop at the beginning of this month is that overall the system as a whole is not going to achieve the 3% growth rate. So the growth in the growth areas of the state is not outpacing that 3% to the degree that it can absorb the areas that are not achieving that growth. And so only looking at 2% growth this year, but the state chancellor's office is also looking at developing more realistic projections of what growth really is. Okay, so if we look at our total... Can I, uh, can I ask sorry. a couple of questions oh, before sure. you uh, move on? Remind me of what the area councils are. Who, who are those people? So there's the Administrative Services Council that makes is made up of facilities, institutional technology, and the Business and Finance Office. There is the Student Services Council, and that uh, is all of the areas that fall under student services or now student affairs. And then the Instructional Council, which is all of the instructional areas, so would include deans and division chairs and... and uh, uh, all of the folks representing the instructional area. And then finally, last but not least, is the president's area. And the president's area would be the Office of Institutional Advancement, um, Human Resources, and the president's office itself. So there are four. Did I miss one? Apparently. Oh, and Rippy. I'm sorry. Ooh. 
and and uh, research planning and institutional effectiveness. Good thing Robin's not here. So um, those are the four area councils that uh, so each unit in that council would prepare a unit plan and then the area council would get together and review those plans and determine what the priorities for that particular area would be going forward. And they all then go? So they all then go up to the president's cabinet where the leads of all of those area councils sit, um, and that's where the um, overall goals of the of the in individual area councils as well as the overall goals and objectives of the college would be reviewed to determine what are the priorities going forward. Are there, is there an appeal process if one council's highest priority didn't get uh, on the list? You know, I'm happy to say that that didn't happen this year, um, but uh, we are we are looking at, as we look at reviewing and improving the, um, the way that this budget development process works, looking at improving the feedback mechanism so that, you know, the, the area council, and my area council is, is only four people, so it's a little easier for the feedback to take place. In instruction, probably a little more difficult. And so making sure that, because the area council's priorities make it up to the president's cabinet, but individual unit priorities might not because the unit might not make it through the area council, if that makes sense. And so making sure that that message gets back down through the chain, that these were the priorities that came through our area council meeting and yours didn't make it, and this is why, you know, to make sure that that feedback mechanism is in place. So we're not sure that's always happening effectively. Uh, my other question was related to the um, uh, the non-credit that is eligible for the same level of FTES uh, per FTES. Does our hospitality program fit in that? It could. It could. Certainly where I came from we had a non-credit culinary arts program that qualified for CDCP funding because it was preparing people for uh, entry-level positions in, um, in uh, culinary, uh, in the culinary field. We were also, they were also, um, got to stop saying we, they were also looking at developing uh, non-credit actual hospitality, so front desk management and um, restaurant management and things of that nature. So, yes, that could qualify. You've got to get the curriculum, write the curriculum, get it through your local curriculum council and approved here and then up to the state chancellor's office. But, yes, any of the career technical areas could conceivably result in a um, CDCP program. And my other last question is to do with the um, the adult ed working group you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, do we come to the table with that group with a list of non-credit that we want to – is there a geographical division? Uh, how is it decided? I mean, I, I'm aware of the previous process, but how is this? Sure. So we – you know, there are – 
the um, oversight committee or council for the adult education block grant and the partnership we, that we have. There are three members from Napa Valley College, three members from the Napa Valley Unified School District, and then Barbara Nemco from the um, County Office of Education. And at that, at that, those meetings, and as we have work groups representing faculty in the various areas from both Napa Valley College and from uh, Napa Valley Unified, that's where those work groups are looking at the, the strengths that each institution brings to the table. And so one of the things, and probably the primary focus to date, has been looking at is one of the um, objectives of the adult education program was to transition individuals from adult education into the community college system. And so that's probably been the primary focus to date. That doesn't mean that as we look at areas of need throughout Napa County and underserved populations, that there wouldn't be opportunities for Napa Valley College to be offering different programs that would fall under career development and college preparation. So let's say we wanted to do, uh, you know, we wanted to add some curriculum that we've had in the past. That group, does that, is that an approval group? They have to approve it? They don't have to approve it, but, but one of the objectives of creating these local consortiums is to make sure that we weren't duplicating efforts that were already in existence, but rather enhancing the efforts that uh, uh, the efforts of each group coming into the consortium. Okay, thank you. Sure. Yes. To clarify, when the area councils, you said there were four, but I listed five. Is is the president's office and Rippy this one? They're all one. So the president's office includes Office of Institutional Advancement, Research Planning and Institutional Effectiveness, and the Office of Human Resources. Although Robin, I'm sure, would be happy to be her own area council, but uh, don't tell her I said that. So, um, so if we look at our final budget or our total budget, now our budget is a series of budgets. And what we're going to look at tonight is primarily general fund unrestricted. What you will receive in your packets prior to the September board meeting will be all of the budgets. Now, I think Carolee posted for you the uh, packet that we presented in June for adoption of the tentative budget, and I will tell you that there will be minimal changes in those other. We're going to look at general fund unrestricted, but there will be minimal changes in all of those other budgets between the uh, tentative budget and the final budget. But we have our general fund unrestricted, and then we have general fund restricted, and those are our grants and our categorical programs, so student success, uh, student equity, adult education block grant, all of those EOPS, I can't forget that. Um, so uh, all of those areas uh, uh, that are restricted funds, so those funds can only be used for those particular purposes. We also have capital outlay project funds, our child care fund, post-retirement benefits, Debt service funds, those are the funds where the uh, taxes that we collect to support our bonds that were issued as part of our last um, um, uh, 
uh, our last construction bond project. That's where the funds are deposited and where the disbursements are made for the uh, interest payments and principal retirement payments on those bonds. We also have the Associated Student Body Fund and the Student Representative Fee Trust Fund. If you look at all of those budgets together and the total expenditures under those budgets, we're looking at, as a college, $64.8 million in uh, projected expenditures for 1617. I have to say about $12 million of that is the debt service fund, but still, even taking out the $12 million, you've got $52, almost $53 million. Yes? I had a question about so when earlier it said available revenue, um, $31 million, and then now this is saying expenditure, $65 million. So the available revenue of $31 million is the general fund unrestricted budget. The rest is the grants. The rest is the grants and the capital outlay and all of those various funds. And the, the grants and the – well, primarily the grants and the categorical funds, and we'll see a, a total of that in a minute – but those are balancing funds. So if we receive $2 million in student success money, we spend $2 million in student success money. There, we're not running deficits in those, uh, in those, particular, um, in those particular funds. Um, the area where we probably have, it's not, I don't want to use the term volatility because there really isn't a lot of volatility, certainly not this year. But where things change would be more likely in the general fund unrestricted than anywhere else. And general fund unrestricted, and we're not unusual in this regard, general fund unrestricted is the budget that gets the most attention at most uh, college districts. We are one of our objectives as a budget committee going forward is to take a more total approach to the budget, and so really look at all of those sources of funding. And, and it really is important for us because we may be planning a purchase out of general fund unrestricted money that could be funded out of one of those categorical programs, which would then free up money in general fund unrestricted to do other purchases. We might be able to purchase some classroom equipment using Perkins or Vitia funding that would then allow us to free up some classroom equipment money to be used in a program that doesn't qualify for Perkins or Vitia funding. So it really is all of these things are part of our overall budget. So um, one of the issues with accreditation was the, the integrated planning, the linkage of the, the budget to the institutional plans. Right. Um, and I know... You were talking about how um, any budget augmentations had to be tied to the planning priorities. Was that just for the unrestricted general fund, or was that for all the, the funds? No, and I'm sorry, that was actually for all of the funds, because as we looked at those planning priorities and those augmentation requests that came up from the area councils, we actually took into account the other sources of funding that might be available, so that... For example, in I'll use my own area. In institutional technology, we had a great need to hire, and it's actually a replacement for somebody who left us two years ago, but a replacement for a programmer to help support our 
a colleague integrated system. Only 25% of the funding for that position is coming from general fund unrestricted. The remaining 75% is coming from student success or uh, yeah, student support services money because most of the work that that person will be doing at least over the next few years is to enhance the delivery of services to our students through our, our student system. We're looking at, and one of the things that's in the budget is the purchase of imaging software. Uh, and that, again, is a shared purchase between general fund and the student support funding because the primary users, at least initially, will be the financial aid office and the admissions and records office. And this will improve the way that our students interact with those offices and the way that we deliver services in those offices. It will, however, allow us to improve services through the business and finance office for producing requisitions. It will give us the ability to have better storage of historical documents, and so it will benefit both the, the, all of the operations of the district as well as those particular departments in uh, student affairs. Um, I don't, this is kind of the question, if you, I don't know if you want to answer it at the end or now, but what about the, so that's just for the augmentation, um, you know, budget augmentation. What about, like, the existing funds? As far as them being tied to planning priorities, were those just kind of rolled over and that's so, going to be, so I'm just concerned about that. That's a great question. And for this year, they were. The goal going forward is to take a closer look at those as well. So there are some things, you know, so we look at the, we look at the whole augmentation process. And I may have said this at the, at the uh, presentation on the tentative budget, but there were augmentation requests that came in because the Umoja program has to pay dues on an annual basis, and those dues went up by $1,000. And so can we have an extra $1,000? Well, that's not an augment augmentation. That is the cost of doing business. So you either allocate an extra $1,000 to that program or you eliminate the program. There's, there's really no choice there. It's not a thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, the facilities department said that they needed thirty thousand more dollars to pay electricity or utility bills. Well, that's the cost of doing business, and it was based on what they actually spent in fifteen sixteen. That I, I don't see that as being an augmentation. An augmentation is really I would like to do this new thing. Does it fit in with our planning priorities, and can the college? fund that. So we will be talking about this at the end, but one of the things that we are going to do this year, and we've already had some meetings with some individual um, budget centers, is to hopefully do a better job of helping them track what they're spending and where they're spending it and how it's working. Had a meeting with the a new division chair of science, math, and engineering and right now, at this point, we put all of their instructional supply money in one pot. Now, out of that pot, chemistry buys supplies, biology buys supplies, geology buys supplies. And so at the end of the day, there's somebody with a 
piece of paper in a drawer or an Excel spreadsheet keeping track of how much money is being spent by each of these programs. And they know how much they allocate to the program. So we should know that, and it should be in the system so that they don't have to keep that separate Excel spreadsheet. And so that's our commitment going forward, that we're going to work with our constituents and hopefully do a better job of allowing them to track their expenditures and keep track of where the expenses are coming from. And that takes us one step further to actually looking at the budget as a whole when we talk about planning priorities. Okay, so now we are at general fund unrestricted. And there was only one change between the tentative budget and the final budget, and it was a good change. And that was that calculation of the amount that was coming from the state shifted, and we actually saw, based on the uh, information that came to us from the state budget workshop on August 2nd, that our revenue was increasing by 350, almost $351,000. And you can see it's a shift between a little less in federal income, a little less in state un income, but a significant increase in local income. So revenues, and let me draw your attention to the last line here, reserve for stirs and purrs. If you remember, last year in October, we received an augmentation from the state, and the state said you need to, you should use this augmentation to help pay for the increases that you're going to see in your PERS and STRS contribution rate over the next few years. And so you decided at that time to set aside, I believe it was about $1.4 million of that additional augmentation to fund these person stirs increases over the next three years. And so what you see there is that first allocation from that pot of money. So what did we do with that $351,000? Well, we believe, and we discussed this at the budget committee meeting and at the campus forum, we believe that the area where we might see the most, um, we have the most potential for changes is in the area of salaries. Uh, we are about to embark on a salary study for classified and for administrative and confidential. We are in the middle of salary negotiation, or I should say contract negotiations with uh, some of our bargaining units. And so if there was a place where we might need a little cushion, it was in salaries and, and benefits. Not so much benefits, really more salaries. Benefits we are actually tracking okay. So we put the 351000 in salaries. Now, we put it in one line, which was faculty salaries permanent. It may shift among those lines when actual uh, the results of these surveys and studies and contract negotiations take place. But we felt that the most important spot in the budget to use those extra dollars would be under salaries. So those are the only two changes, little bump, $351,000 in revenue, and a $351,000 increase in salaries. Yeah? Um, what, at that, with this uh, budget, do you know what percent would be going to salaries? I don't benefits? because okay. we, we haven't yeah, – okay. we don't have that yeah. yet. So, yeah, yeah. so we just figured we had put 
a little more in salaries than we believed we needed based on current salary levels and current employees. But we felt we, if we, if we wanted to put a cushion somewhere, it would be under salaries. There were no changes in other expenditures, so books and supplies, other operating expenses, capital outlay, they all remained the same. And so we do end this final budget that we're presenting at the workshop and that will be presented to you for approval at the September meeting is a balanced budget, just as the tentative budget was a balanced budget. Now, a couple of things. First of all, if we look at restricted funds, adopted budget, and comparing the adopted budget for 15-16 to the final budget for 16-17, we're looking at about $10.1 million, a fairly significant increase over the 15-16 adopted budget. That's actually additional funding that came in throughout 15-16 and continues into 16-17. And those are increases that we saw in um, student success money, student equity money, as well as some AEBG money. Yes? Um, you said that the Menlo money that was coming through or just came through, the $1 million, so that, where would that go? So that would go under capital outlay. Now, we don't have the money yet, and the reason that we don't, we talked about this at the campus budget forum. The funds have, it's $950,000, the funds have been deposited, but the escrow company is asking us to provide uh, some pieces of information, and the one that proved a little challenging for us, but we believe we have the information uh, to provide them, just had a, left a message for the woman at the escrow company before this meeting. Um, apparently, the deed for the Menlo property says that it is owned by Napa Junior College, and the sale agreement says that the seller is Napa Valley College. And so the escrow company wanted to know, is Napa Junior College the same thing as Napa Valley College? And, of course, for those of you who have been around or lived in this community longer than I have, it wasn't, in, it wasn't one jump. You know, we went from Napa Junior College to being Napa College, I think that happened around 1962 or so. And then in the 80s, we went from Napa College to Napa Valley College. We believe we have the documentation that will support the fact that we really are Napa Junior College. We really do have the right um, to, to sell that property. But that $950,000 would go into the capital outlay fund. They're restricted. It capital is restricted, yeah. So we are required to use those funds for capital outlay projects. Okay, we have a couple of additional, we're almost to the end, we have a couple of additional sources of funding that I just want to bring to your attention. Prop 39, uh, those are uh, funds that the state provides to us for energy efficiency projects. We're getting $204,000 for those energy efficiency projects. And then finally, instructional equipment and scheduled maintenance. We're getting a little over $900,000. So that provides us, and we typically split that 50-50 between instructional equipment and scheduled maintenance. So it gives us money that we can use 
for scheduled maintenance projects, things that are required to for the upkeep of our buildings, and $450,000 for instructional equipment, which is a significant amount of money for us. I also want to call to your attention, there is a proposition on the November ballot, Proposition 51, and that is to, it is the statewide construction bond, which is for school construction. And it's $9 billion for education, and that sounds like a lot of money. $7 billion is earmarked for K-12, $2 billion for community colleges. Now, the state chancellor's office was quick to point out, however, that they estimate uh, or their records indicate that there is $40 billion in identified need among the community colleges throughout the state. So $2 billion is nice, but it certainly won't address the need throughout the state. So we, so we provide and you approved a five-year capital expenditure plan at an earlier board meeting, and this is where we said that over the next five years, based on the draft facilities master plan that we have, that we need to construct a new uh, science lab building and that we need to renovate the 1800 building and we need to renovate the 1600 building and all of those facility needs um, are out there. Now, of that, that $2 billion is to fund a few things. Part of it is to fund expansion projects. Well, as our FTES is not growing, then we don't qualify under expansion. We do, however, have some buildings that are of an age where they would qualify for renovation or restoration. And so if we qualify for funding under this statewide construction bond, it requires a match. And so where would that match come from? Well, one of the ways that we could meet the match is the using the money from sales like the Menlo property. Another way that districts up and down the state have leveraged this money coming in from the state is to use their own bond money to uh, as that match. And so where I came from, Grossmont Cuyamaca, they did an excellent job of really leveraging the money that they got from a local bond measure to support or to match the funds that they got from the state in terms of construction. And so that's another potential source of matching. So what are our future considerations? We talked about the fact that PERS and STARS increases are going to continue. We've set aside money to fund them through 1819. So in 1920, we'll need to look at where that funding will come from. That really becomes part of that three-year plan. We don't have any growth in our budget because we're in stability restoration. Now, the Planning Committee and the Budget Committee are going to review the submission process to make the ability to link your augmentation requests to our planning priorities easier to do. Um, we are looking as a budget committee at the timeline to give our budget centers and area councils more time to prepare their proposals. As I said, we'll begin to work on a three-year plan this semester. We'll look at integrated planning and resource allocation processes this semester, and that's where the IIPI visit comes into play. We've asked for assistance in looking at our integrated planning process. 
and that's going to happen this semester. We are going to be, in the fall, completing our campus master plan, our facilities master plan, and our technology plan. All of those things will be vetted through our various constituent groups. Both student services, student affairs, and the Office of Instruction are looking at uh, increasing our utilization of our American Canyon classrooms so that we will have a, a stronger presence in American Canyon and reaching out maybe beyond Napa County. Don't tell anybody. Um, and then we will be completing our equipment inventory. We've upgraded our inventory tracking system so that we can do a better job of planning for required equipment replacements. And I would be happy to answer any additional questions you might have at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, I just want to clarify, um, you said it's a balanced budget, but last year they called a balanced budget, but it was going into the, the reserve. Right. So I just want to clarify, so what you're saying is that there, our expenses won't exceed our revenue. Absolutely. The only way that we're going into the reserve is the utilization of the $490,000 for STRS and PERS increases, and that was money that was earmarked for that purpose in the reserve. So all community college districts are required to present a balanced budget, and I will tell you that where I came from, we always had a balanced budget, but it always required use of reserves. And the explanation was, well, we never spend our full expenditure amount, so we'll make it up as we go through the year. That's not where we are right now. I'm, I'm happy to say that's not where we are right now. So we're not talking about, and we would show that if we were, if, if, if that were the case, which is why we show the 490000 from the Sturzen Purse Reserve. And then, um, so based on the tentative budget with the changes, um, so what what would the do you anticipate the fund balance to be? Do you know? So we expect. So we are, we are still in the process of closing the books. If you look at the uh, projection that we included with the tentative budget, we were projecting a, and we don't have to look at that right now, but we were projecting uh, approximately a $2.9 million surplus at the end of this year. Now, that was including the reserve for SERS and PERS and a reserve for, um, for uh, uh, technology equipment and some additional reserves. We will probably end this year, and again, uh, books aren't closed. The auditors haven't reviewed them. But we're probably going to end this year at about 2.5 to 2.6 million. So, what does that mean when you take out the Sturz and Purs reserve? When you take out the technology the, uh, technology money that was earmarked, we will be adding approximately 750 thousand to 800 thousand dollars to our reserve from 15, 16. So we expect to have an unrestricted reserve that meets or exceeds 10% of our general fund unrestricted expenditures. So we're not quite at the 12%, which was our ultimate goal, but we far exceed the 5% that the state requires us to have. 
kind of based on that, was, was there any discussion about applying the additional monies, the 350000 to the fund balance, to the reserve? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, could you repeat that? The, the additional $350,000 um, that you talked about, you're marking for salaries. Was there any discussion about applying that to the reserve? Well, no, no. only because um, certainly if, if the uh, results of the salary studies and the, uh, uh, the collective bargaining that is taking place right now result in a number that is less than what we have in the salary line, then that would fall to the bottom line. But want to make sure that we've got enough of a cushion in salaries so that we, we don't have to – don't want to promise putting $350,000 into the bottom line only to have to move it up. So we felt that the best course of action would be to look at revenues – equaling expenditures, knowing that if we do have some savings in that area, that will then add to the bottom line. Last question. Um, I'm just wondering, as far as meeting accreditation standards, Mm -hmm. um, is the impression that that's enough as far as integrating planning, just the fact that we're only looking at budget augmentations being linked to planning priorities, but not... I, the budget I th- overall. I think that if the uh, visiting team were to come back today, they would see that we've made progress. Would they say that we've achieved the goal? I'm not sure, only because we still have some plans that we need to put together that we'll be working on in the fall, one of them being the fiscal plan. The other thing is we've got that institutional effectiveness Partnership Initiative. Okay, thank you. I can never remember what IEP stands for. We have that group coming in, and that's in the fall, and that's what they're going to be working with us on. They're going to be working with the planning committee. They're going to be working with the budget committee. They're going to be working with various constituent groups throughout the campus to advise us on how we can make it better. Actually, I like one last question. Okay. When will the final draft of the budget, the full entire budget, be available for the community and for us to see? That will be available to you toward the end of next week when we finalize. So it will be the um, uh, the document will be part of the supporting documents for this item as an action item on the uh, agenda for that September board meeting. So we are working on those right now. And we'll have them to Carol Lee before she publishes the uh, agenda, I promise. We will have them. So it will be probably be around this time next week that those those will be published. Is, there, is it possible to, to give them to us as soon as they're ready? Because oh, rather than I'm just concerned about maybe getting them a night before or even two nights before. No, no. First of all, we believe we have to have them at least 72 hours, hours before. Right. Um, but we, we have made a commitment. I don't think they'll be available much before Thursday of next week. As soon as we have them, we'll send them out to you. But we do expect to have them um, ready by Thursday of next week. So that that would be a week before the board meeting. Okay. Any Thank- other questions? There, I have uh, one, one comment. There's uh, I believe Joanne had a uh, – sorry for a, 
a question to Dr. Kraft, and perhaps you are copying, uh, on what our piece here as trustees, as far as uh, our contribution, our negative to the budget, as far as um, everything from travel plans to legal expenses to uh, so on and so forth. If you could okay, the, I, I did look at legal fees to, to look at a breakdown for legal fees for 15-16. And we, so we have two, uh, two firms or two organizations that we use to provide legal advice to us. One of those is Liebert Cassidy. Liebert Cassidy Whitmore, I think is the full name. And the other one is Schools and Colleges Legal Services. And so looking at the total dollar amount that we spent with Liebert Cassidy, it was about $78,000. And those are um, coded to be general legal questions, maybe legal questions that are specific to a um, request for public records, you know, those, those kinds of things. Um, of that $78,000, $13,500 was coded as a board-related legal question, so something that came from uh, uh, the board of trustees or, a, or a, a board member. In terms of public records requests, 20000 approximately 20000 of that 78000 was associated with public records requests. Now, we don't always need legal counsel for public records requests. Some of them are pretty straightforward. But sometimes we need somebody to weigh in and say, is this really a public record? What can we share if it has to do with students, if it has to do with um, uh, email communications, if it has to do with an employee action? Uh, there are times when we need that outside legal advice. And so we, we actually incurred about $20,000 in expenses for that last year. 41000 of that 78 was what we would consider general legal expenditures. And then we had small uh, small amount for HR for some employee actions, 3000 and then $500 for training registrations for training sessions that, that, uh, that uh, Lieber Cassidy provided. So that's what makes up the $78,000. All of what we use schools and colleges legal services, and we use them less, and we tend to use them for less um, uh, less significant uh, reviews. That was seventeen thousand five hundred dollars, and that was all considered or coded as uh, general legal expenses. Is that um, have we looked at it in the past? Is there I actually only looked at 1516. I haven't. I didn't go back beyond 1516. Un unfortunately, those records are um, in the basement. Um, if we get imaging software, we'll be able to access them more easily. But uh, the uh, the records from previous years, we'd have to pull from our storage, and we can. I mean, that's that's absolutely not a problem. But for tonight's meeting just looked at the records that were readily available, which was the previous fiscal year. So something like that in of itself would require staff time taken away from yes. something that you would normally do or need to do. All right, I understand. So when you talk about generals, that's lit like litigation. For, so like 41000 is that where the litigation would be for the general? 
Um, I might ask Carol Lee, do you, um, only because those requests typically come through the president's office? Um, there wasn't a terribly large amount of potential litigation. There was no actual litigation. Um, it's more for regulatory compliance issues and personnel. Thank you. Is there an average legal expense or fee for districts our size or relative to our size? Uh, another great question. Don't don't have the answer for that tonight, I but would I, guess can, no. I can get that for you. <laughs> I was thinking no to myself. I would guess but, no, just because it depends on the problems the districts have. I think I, I I would absolutely agree with that. You know, and in, in you could have one big case of litigation or one big defense or an HR issue. So you, you just you just can't can't know. So I would say at this point it's unknowable. I was wondering what kind of feedback you got from the college community at your forum. Can you would anything kind of stick out as far as the feedback that you got about the budget? No, I'm looking at uh, Diana and Amanda because they were there. Um, I, not really, nothing, no, um, no, no specific area of concern. Um, some uh, questions about uh, uh, funding for positions and uh, uh, where the funding came from and were things in the budget. Um, but no great areas of, of concern. Yep, yeah, Maria. Actually, that, that triggers a question. Because we have several positions that we're still hiring for, some deans and a permanent BPI. Is that in, reflected in the budget? Yes. That so, so all of those positions were reflected as either, well, so for example, the VPI, when we developed the budget, there was an incumbent in that position, so it was budgeted at the incumbent salary, and so that rolled forward. And the deans that we're currently hiring for, all of the positions that you see posted right now or that have been posted recently were included in the budget either as a vacancy or were included in the budget because there was an incumbent in the position at the time we developed the budget. The mental money we're not factoring in since it hasn't come through yet, and we don't know when it will come through. So the mental money should come through next week. Not in the budget. In it the, is not it's because not. it's not here yet. But again, as I said, that will go directly into the capital projects fund, so it won't be part of uh, any other piece of the of the budget. I want to thank you, Mr. Parker, and your staff, and all those who precipitated. Yes, participated. Thank you, Maria, and, and your group, and forums, and everything like that. Uh, it very educational and, and concise, and, and uh, common sense approach. I, I thank you. Well, thank Best you. Best I've had in 12 years. So, so I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Great job, Thanks. Mr. Chair. We. Do you have a member of the public who would like to address this item? Yes, please approach the podium. My name is Gary Orton. I'm a Napa resident. Uh, I just had a couple of questions. Um, and these are in light of the external evaluation report for done for the accreditation. 
<clears throat> one of the things noted in that report was that in the multi-year financial projection, the college did not provide financial plans for or resources for long-term liabilities, including uh, long-term CalPERS, CalSTRS pension increases through 2021. Now, apparently, this budget hasn't through 2019. So my question would be, you've had this report for six months. Uh, what constraints did you have in not providing them for the entire period recommended by the evaluation team, which was through 2021. That's my first question. Um, the second question is, uh, another thing they said is that there hasn't been sufficient consideration given from a maintenance, or was unable, they were unable to determine it, determine whether there was consideration given for maintenance and operations perspective to operate the facilities and other capital expenditures that you'd be making. So I'm looking at the budget, and it says that over the various funds, there are going to be over $2 million worth of capital outlay expenditures. And so my question is, were, the, were there assumptions from a maintenance and operations standpoint given as to these capital outlay expenditures? Those are two items that were contained, continued, uh, contained in the report. I, by the way, I tried to get this information. On August the 4th, some of you got my email back and forth between the president, and I've been told to wait till September 15th. That's the day you're going to be voting on the final. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are we going to try to answer the question? Are these Are these... This is kind of public comment. I'm not sure that it's a question for um, staff or if we could address them, we can research them, we can do anything. It's the board, it's the chair's call, of course. You, you can ask There's an easy question. way, a hard, a hard way to do it. Let's, this is the easy way. Just answer the questions. Thank you. Do we have that uh, at our fingertips? Perfect. Certainly. So first of all, as, as was included in the presentation, uh, the Budget Committee is looking at uh, developing multi-year projections. And so we'll be looking at, so if we look at a three-year projection starting in sixteen seventeen, then it takes us out to the point where PERS and STRS funding that we currently have set aside will go away. And so that is one of the primary reasons and uh, one of the primary drivers for looking at the multi-year uh, projections that we'll be working on in the fall. In terms of the use of capital outlay and uh, scheduled maintenance funds, uh, those are, first of all, we are required to submit to the uh, state chancellor's office on an annual basis a five-year capital outlay plan, and so that is that was approved by the Board of Trustees. I believe it was at the June meeting. So that's available there. And also we are required to submit to the state a scheduled maintenance plan based on the funds that are available to us in the current fiscal year. And that scheduled maintenance plan is being developed by the facilities department right now and will be available in September. And our next board meeting is September 8th, Thursday. Yeah. Any other comments? Questions, we'll move on to 3.2, annual review of board of trustee goals. Okay, I'm waiting for him to come up. Oh, maybe I'll have to look this. No, I can't look that. 
this screen? Yeah. What do you Well, this is the opportunity for the board as a, again, a one more opportunity to take a look at your, at your goals. It's a, it's a little difficult because they're so broad and big, you know, that you can drill down in any one of them. But it, it could be a time for the board to, um, uh, to ask specific questions or to, you know, have this conversation amongst yourself in terms of the, the, the direction that you want to you want to um, uh, pursue. So it starts here. I'm, I'm just kind of walking through. On page one, it's a mission of, and and values improve the board's focus on current future needs. Sure, there is effective planning process that, that you have as a set piece. You're, you're going to have to scroll this, I think. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that I thought we were looking at them tonight, but then any potential changes were coming back at the September meeting. That um, is true. Okay. That is true. So this is just... Um, discussion, right? This is what was adopted. Yeah, you're in the second year. Yes, correct? They were adopted in October of 15. So this is your annual review of two-year goals. So this is, I'm, I think you're looking at B, C, and D, E. Yeah, maybe there's more. You need to scroll up just a little bit to the other direction. I'm so sorry. There, so we're we're a um, little higher. I'm sorry. So we're we're getting here. We're uh, oh, I'm. You were you were in good shape, Carolee. I'm so sorry. Let's just move it down. Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult because I'm used to doing this. So you have a couple different a couple different things under this mission and vision: the policy role, which we've certainly talked about, the board relations and CEO role, CEO relations um, um, role. Keep keep rolling because we'll get to these in a second here. Community relations, institutional effectiveness, educational programs, and quality. And I think, um, yeah, fiduciary role, which you've landed on tonight, and you're certainly talking about that. Human resources, staff relations, and then board leadership, board meetings, board education. Um, all of these are goals in which the, the board has some active interest. So, and, and I sent a little piece today in, in terms of how you might review your role and look at your role. I, I think properly in the state, most boards are asked to stay at the policy level. So whatever you're discussing strategically should have implications for the district based on their mission that would establish policy for staff and for future future leadership. So um, policy in terms of it's your fiduciary policy, which you did, and, you, and by adopting um, – um, let's see, by endorsing the budget committee's recommendation last year for the 12%, um, you, you, you stepped out in terms of having a fiduciary kind of a policy statement um, in terms of where you're going. So, so here, I'm not sure that there's, there's some area or group of these you may want to talk about. You might have reviewed them tonight. That If, if you don't want to speak um, among yourselves tonight about these, then we can certainly um, wait for any changes that you may want to bring about to the September meeting, and we can adapt them there or adopt them there. Are we looking to make changes, or are we just looking to just kind discuss. of look at where we're at, like yeah, where just, we're at with each of these? That's more, that's more appropriate. It's, it's, it's kind of what is, um, maybe the interpretation or focus. It allows the board to have this kind of conversation. Should we just identify ones that we're... Concerned about 
because the ones that we've met or we're working it, on. I'm just introducing it. It's going to be. It will be now. It's the board chair and, Let's and you look all. At, uh, a missions and values improve the board's focus on current and future needs and the direction of the district. Is there sufficient uh, direction, or, or is that uh, uh, needs to improve as far as? It's been president is concerned. Yes. For that one, I guess I'm concerned about two, just because. It's accreditation issue. It's in our budgetary values that we approved. That, you know, lots of things about making sure that the um, that we have integrated planning that the budget is linked to our plans. But it says it assure that there's an effective planning process that includes appropriate board participation. So, you know, apart from just approving these documents at the end and just kind of trusting that, for example, that the budget is linked to planning and actually tonight. We learned that most of the budget isn't. So just, you know what I mean? So I'm just wondering, what is the role in ensuring that that the um, that we have integrated planning? So I just well, I would say a couple things. One, I just heard a couple pieces that I would, I would invite you to consider. One, the budget, I think tonight, is very linked to planning. So the opposite is, is what you should have heard tonight, that the budget is... Um, strongly linked to planning. So the mission of the institution, the vision of, we won't use vision because we don't have one here, but the mission of the institution and programmatic goals, the the sequence of planning that was at the beginning of this, you know, from area councils all the way through the shared governance piece. So we're in alignment. So the budget that's being presented to you is a, if you will, a shared conversation through the planning and budgeting structures of the college. So it's it's... It's completely infused within the planning structure. Well, accreditation team didn't think that there was linkage. And, and so we learned tonight that anything, any augments are now being linked, but all the, the existing budgets just being, has continued to be passed over. So um, I think maybe I can, and I could call him maybe Eric, who might, you might, or, or Bob, but... The recommendation for the the team was to f more fully integrate. I mean, they they didn't they don't see these as completely disparate pieces. They're looking for stronger linkages, and I think that was a pretty good reflection of where we were. In fact, I agreed with that. We we put that in our own self study. That's where they the accreditation team adopted our language in in giving it back to us. So we were pretty happy in in that in that piece. And since that time, now. Hopefully you've seen or will see the actions that we've taken, the planning structures that we've taken, the, the accreditation steering committee, kind of addressing those one piece at a time. I mean, so the accreditation report says institutional plans are not clearly linked to financial plans, both short-term and long-range. So I guess what I'm wondering about um, is – like right now, we have some board members on some of the, you know, the VWT Foundation, now the College Foundation. Um, I, I talked to somebody, and they said that, I don't know if currently, but in the past, Napa Valley Unified School board members have been on the budget committee. I'm wondering, have, has this college ever had a board member on the planning committee, on the budget committee, so that at least there is that link between um, these committees and the board, and we know what's kind of, can see what's happening? along the way, rather than at the end when we approve the documents and just trusting that there are these linkages. In, in the minutes, 
um, from decades ago. There is uh, a board rep at some of the planning committee meetings. Not clear on whether they were a member or a guest, but there were. Don't, I think you'd have trouble being a member of a committee of which, let me think about this for a moment. In my experience, Help me out. Been, yeah, this, yes, yeah. or right. you're, yeah. you're welcome and you're to listen, and then you come down to appropriate, uh, and that's a that's a pretty big word in that, that sentence. So how can we know? Is that uh, appropriate doesn't necessarily mean more. It could mean more, but you have to dwell on the word appropriate. What does that mean? And to fulfill mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the accreditation uh, to the fullest extent, so how, how, what assurances can you make? So how can board members know, at least know when these meetings are so that if they oh, want to come? that's a different, sure. Um, the, so the planning and budget committees are in this institution run by kind of brown, they're, they're, um, they're linked, they're posted, they're available. I would think your presence as a trustee at any of these meetings would be one of Respectful silence. Um, questions, comments, the, 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 they'd be very aware. And and as, uh, having been a board member as in, in one of my other roles, you'd also have to be very aware that the, that the conversation is now going to be shaped by you in the room um, to some extent because they're not going to feel comfortable. Excuse me. Could we stop for a moment and hear from the uh, faculty representatives who are driving the process? So, yes. so I actually um, the the both of those committees, the budget and the planning committee, are actually mutually agreed committees, and that's why you see equal numbers of administrators and faculty, and why they are co-chaired by a faculty member and a fac- and an administrator. So the board the board's responsibility in this is actually as an oversight to ensure it's happening, and and I would just say that the way that the board knows that that is happening is by the information received from those core chairs like tonight from Maria and from Bob. And we have, as you noted in the report, have struggled with that integration and the college is working at trying to make it clearer where they're integrated and overlap. And that's why we're having the IEPI come in. But it wouldn't be at that level that you would see a board of trustee member being a part an actual voting member of that committee. Maybe. Thank you. Yeah, more Should of I? a pebble in the pond. You're going to create some waves, and and so that's not our that's not our role. Do you think at, they would? That. People would feel uncomfortable if a board member just attended and listened, so they knew what was going on. The meetings are public, and as such, you can certainly attend. And as was mentioned, the agendas are posted on these meeting. Every uh, excuse me, committee has a web page that's linked to our college website. So there's no question that as a member of the public, you are welcome. Thank you. But the the issue is then what do you do with the information? If you're going to pick up information and come back to the board and say, well, you know, this is what I heard, this is what they're doing or not doing, it's a very intimidating, you know, as a former staffer, it's a very, it's very intimidating for a board member uh, particularly one such as yourself, who is so uh, uh, tied to process and tied to uh, not believing anything other than uh, uh, you know what you can feel the heat from or the cold from, and, and so 
uh, staff immediately picks up lack of trust, and that then goes to all of us if one of us shows up there that we don't trust them in uh, the operational process. And uh, the minute anyone, any of that came back to the full board, uh, it would be such a breach of, of uh, uh, policy and operations that uh, it's just it's going to generate. And Mike, you know, in past years we've had that a long time ago. A uh, board member who, who you know chose to cross lines, and uh, it just feeds chaos. I mean, you're the the, the uh, faculty staff feel a need to be defensive, uh, especially when they know they're not, you know, somebody is coming in that they that doesn't trust them. So uh, I, I just think it's, you know, one big step in the wrong direction. And if I would like to, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, and I would just like to reiterate what Diana said, which is the role of the board is to oversee what we're doing and to trust that we are making every effort to follow process and to to essentially do the work that is entrusted to us. And towards that end, we, as um, Bob has already mentioned, we are going to have this IEPI visit from the Chancellor's office, and we will work with people. We are making tremendous effort to integrate, to close gaps between planning and budget that have existed. So we, we, we've got this. <laughs> I believe that um, our mission and values of our board goals have been met just based on, um, in the beginning of Mr. Parker's presentation, how the, the timeline that he presented to us and all of the activities that took place through that timeline um, were very clear of a very integrated planning process, and to me, the budget and the planning process uh, coming together. I think the timeline was really helpful for me uh, to see how that process, uh, you know, flowed. If I could, I'm reminded of a phrase I heard during my accreditation interview is that role of trustee hands-on fingers out and this is one of the issues where our fingers need to be out our role is not to create the budget our role is to analyze the work that you're doing and either approve or disapprove of the results yes go ahead so I just wanted to add one more thing Amy um, one um, as Amanda said you are welcome clearly at the public can but um, not everyone is as comfortable speaking in a manner that they need to speak in those budget meetings when the board member is sitting right next to them. Some of us are fine with it, and others are, as Joanne said, it can be intimidating. You are a board of trustees. But I will tell you, the way that you know that this is happening and that you've done your due diligence, and, sorry, Ron, but should accreditation come again and say, this is still not happening, then you go back to the chain of command would be that you would go to Ron and Ron would come to us and then we would, that would I not agree. be that's good. A, that's a good point. Us, but, yeah. but hopefully they'll come back and they'll say, this is all met. And you'll be able to say to Ron, great work. We've done this. You'll know that you've done your due diligence and then he'll come back to us and we'll all know that we've done our due diligence. I 
Yes. Um, well, first of all, just to re reference what a trustee said earlier, just because there have been these different meetings doesn't mean that the goal has been met. And I, I hear what you're saying about accreditation coming, but I feel like one of our primary responsibilities is to ensure that we are reaccredited. So to find out, you know, because we don't get reaccredited or because there's issues, that to me is not uh, the answer. So. Yes. I just, I, I, hi. Uh, I just want to address a, a couple of things here really quickly. We have full accreditation. We have been reaccredited. We were reaffirmed for accreditation. So that's not at issue here. So when we're looking at the recommendations that come forward from the site visit team, those are recommendations for improvement. So this is not, we, we are not in a situation where, where we are not accredited. So I want to make sure that that's really clear in front of the board that when, that when these discussions are being held, accreditation is fine. We have recommendations for improvement. And so it's, re it's really important to really look at and parse the, the language that we're looking at when we're, uh, when we're looking at the recommendations from accreditation, and that's exactly what the Accreditation Steering Committee has been doing, really getting into this, understanding the language of accreditation, understanding what it actually is that's being asked of us by the, by the team. Um, and so you know, that's exactly what we've been doing since the time when the accreditation um, um, site visit team came last year and we got our letter from uh, the ACCJC last February. So I do, I do want to make sure that we understand that we are talking about this in the context that we are an accredited institution, and that's not at, that's not at issue. But my understanding is we were reaccredited for 18 months to fix. Mr. Chair, so I just want to understand. Mr. Chair, can we can, bring yeah. this conversation yes, okay. back to our board yes. goals as opposed to what's happening out there? Well, our, I, our, I, um, our job here is to set the policy and have Ron then implement it. And we're not talking about our goals here. We're getting into detail that I don't think belongs in this conversation. Yeah. So I, if, if we but, go but it's helpful to know, and thank you very much, Eric. I, I mean, there there is some confusion, uh, as apparently uh, about that process, and uh, and so I. It sounds like we're visiting again. Maybe we do need clarification because my understanding was it's for 18 months and then they're coming back and we have to fix I'd something. I'd like Eric to answer that question um, and then we'll go right back. Uh, for how many times? I mean, I think that we've had this presentation and we For the public at all to hear and, and, and apparently there's one out there that I won't... So so we have reaffirmation of accreditation. We have a site visit that comes up 18 months after, after the reaffirmation came out. That is to address any deficiencies at that point. If the commission chose to take action, they could choose multiple actions from that point onward. It is not an 18-month accreditation. We are fully reaccredited until such time that the commission takes action to say otherwise. Great. Thank you very much. Now I will... Uh... So it sounds like we have uh, mission and values covered there, um, the appropriateness. Policy rule, we're doing that. Policy um, committee is coming back to us with a uh, list of those most important uh, board policies that need to be addressed immediately. Um, um, yes. Mr. Chair, I, yes. I didn't understand that that's what the board asked the committee to do. There was one related to the minutes, and then, uh, you know, we didn't give them a, a, a specific list. Yes, we, we didn't give them a list. They are to provide a, a, a list of board policies that they feel are uh, prioritized in uh, 
things that they need to address or work on immediately. So and, that, and rather wanna, than bouncing all over the manual and taking care of this and taking care of that. So, I yes. I want to make sure that all three of the participants agree before it comes back. That, that is Not what, what we happened with. to us last month. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, you know, on, and again, I think that's kind of outside what we're doing here. I think on B here, policy rule, I think we, we've made improvements of staying on that and we're working on this. Um, as we've been directed by by the board. So I think on B here, I think we're doing well, and I think we're improving. Um, and I think this is the kind of conversation we're supposed to be having here. Yeah. Mr. Chair. Yes, go ahead. So I, I do think we're focusing more on policy and, and looking at those policies, which is good. But um, the one, number three, that was actually noted in accreditation, and I've mentioned... We're, we're taking care of it. I've mentioned a concern about it. Well, it, it doesn't... The committee subcommittee doesn't have to do anything with that. It's just a question of having links to all of the board policies that, um, so that the public can easily access them. So um, that's just a question of having live links to all the board policies. Right now, some of them are available online, and others don't have live links, so they're not available. Any other comments before we proceed? Uh, I will again, Raphael, you're chairing that, uh, that committee. We're ready to move to C, CEO relations. Communicate. We need to change C1. If we are talking about changes, maybe take that out cause, because um, we're not doing that anymore. Well, we had discussed that, that the CEO is an employee like all other employees, and we don't. We don't discuss other employees' goals out in public and report out, et cetera. That's done in closed session. So um, I think we should take that one out. Mm-hmm. Right. But like other employees in the past, they had made the, bo- the goals public and the evaluation results public, and we're not doing that anymore. And that, was, that change happened after this was created. So um, I don't. Know. I don't think it's relevant anymore. Well, I'll take a, I'll take a look with you on that. I understand your point, yeah. though. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that's what it's. I mean, that's not what I'm getting out yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, you can interpret it. I see how uh, okay. Trustee Martinson's interpreting it, and and you're correct in in your approach. But I, I'm also thinking you could look at it this direction. So we'll come back at it. I'll be happy to. Mm-hmm. Sure. Good. And then. C2, I think that's an area that we could work on, communication. All right, uh, community relations. Let's not take that out of context. As communication regarding key decisions made in cabinet in terms of the the feedback we get uh, from the uh, president's report. So uh, that's what I'm referring to. Key communications coming out of cabinets. What would you uh, consider that is lacking in that, though? Because I, I think there hasn't been any surprises that I know I, of. Well, I disagree. I feel that there have been surprises, like the different some of the reorgs, like of the counseling department and the, the president's office and human resources. I think that kind of came through personnel documents and contra- contract extensions and so forth. So. I have felt there's, that's my opinion, I feel there has been surprises, so 
that's just an area I personally feel we should work well, on. Well, there, there have been or haven't been. I think that this is something that uh, we should always continue to kind of evaluate and, and revisit to make sure that we continue to do those good things in that communication. So and without getting into any specific issue that may or may not have happened. I think the point is that we, we keep C2 in and that it makes a good point. We work on it. I don't think it's two. Well, on D, the expand the board's advocacy efforts on behalf of the district, local, state, and federal level. I think we have that, that audience to every single one of us here. Your mic on? Yes, it is. Any comments there? I think we do a good job. I'd, I'd like to see all of us out there talking to, you know, our supervisors and city council members, and I don't think that there ever can be enough of that discussion going on. So I think we're doing a good job with that one. I agree. So I think we need to have a focus in mind when we meet with the supervisors and, you know, not just kind of hobnobbing, but actually have a focus, something that we're trying to work on with them, such as um, Kennedy Park or Talking there has points. to be, yeah, there has to be a purpose for those meetings, something that we're trying to to make happen. Yes, a united, united approach and, and perhaps uh, Ron and Doug could put together something that Based on, uh, based on, we, can. we actually met um, today to talk a, a bit about that and for sixteen seventeen. So, I think that would be a, a good thing. And I just have a, a question here, maybe more kind of procedure. I know there's been a little bit of advocacy at the state level um, when I think some legislation has come up. How would we do this, say, for example, using, I know when the um, the wine program, the winery first, we got licensed here, there was a lot of uh, lobbying, maybe, <laughs> that had to be done to, to to get that here at Napa Valley College. I know we've, we've heard mention of a potentially a uh, brewing, you know, program, uh, which would also require uh, some... Uh, some action by the state legislature to allow us to put that program into place. So if, if that's, using that as an example, if that's something we're moving towards, are we going to have a, a committee appointed uh, by the board that maybe would start to, uh, you know, make appointments with the legislators to, to discuss this and try to get them moving on the legislation that we're going to need? We do have, we have a standing legislative committee. Chair, could I? Again, it comes down to <laughs> prioritizing these talking points. Mm -hmm. and, and Which is? What is the interest of the community? What, what can we do here at the mm -hmm. college? And, and Amanda has a uh, So I just want to clarify, um, the brewing program is a proposal at this point, and until it goes through our curriculum, Approval process. I think it might be a little, um, a little uh, early yet to pursue what you're it's, suggesting. Well, and, and, and based on that, yeah. we don't know exactly what kind of legislation we would need to lobby for. Exactly. 
there, it is a dual track piece, though. Knowing legislation takes a year or more, or two years or three. Having a conversation, which we did, I think, appropriately, with um, at the at the time. Um, uh, help me, yeah. Bill Dodd. Yeah, Bill Dodd. And when we went and met with him, said that the, the college was reflective of the community's needs, which is this growth, rapid growth of brewing as a industry in Napa, and that we we were interested in him taking a look at that. I think that's a good thing. It's kind of a corollary piece, even at, and to Amanda's point, if it passed all in spades, and it's great. Community colleges could do this, all that fun. That's that's neither here nor there. It has to come back to our faculty to propose, approve, work it through that that direction. So, um, so the the primacy is is with faculty and the ten plus one on this mm-hmm. issue. But I think it's wisdom to be out ahead of that curve to make sure that we could fully implement that piece. So, so on that point, what could the board do? to help with the curriculum process, to facilitate or expedite? or Because I know that curriculum development can take a long time. And if we are looking at one of those, this was another question I had earlier, and I don't want to get off topic of our goals, but CDCP courses and developing some of them, there's definitely an interest in the community, and I think there's an interest not just in our community, but from an international standpoint for a brewery program. So what could we do from a board point? Well, it starts with faculty. So, um, And in the case of non-credit, there can be um, discussion with faculty who might be, you know, in terms of discipline related to a proposed program. But... um, but this is very clearly something that we, as a faculty, have a process. We are continuing to fine-tune as we need be to, make, to expedite approval process, but that it, it lives with faculty, specifically the curriculum committee, and then approval with Senate. Yeah, this, this in terms of our role, which, is, yeah. is to say to Ron, gee, we think a brewery program would be good, and then he... Then that goes through the process. Uh. Yeah, I would say, well, let me do it this way for a moment. And we're talking about, and I'll clarify that. If we're talking about legislative, any legislation that this board felt would benefit the state of California community colleges, very appropriate for you to go on record with that. Very appropriate. And also very appropriate for you to work with your subcommittee on legislation to say they can talk about, hey, we think it's a good thing, you know, whatever that might be, including brewing. Because it's great for Santa Rosa to do that or somebody else who may want to do that. Um, When it comes to local at home, then it's got to work its way through a faculty champion, I would, you know, for lack of a better term, through the curriculum process and then, you know, the the gears um, based on industry need or regional need, which, again, is a board's role to, to share that information or some other thing that you know I'm, I'm hearing this in the community and that would be that would be appropriate as long as you just kind of don't um, there was a board uh, the, in the past that where a member would say we need this program to do this kind of a thing and we should have it by next year which is inappropriate so. 
It helped me, Amanda, and perhaps weigh in, uh, certainly Eric, uh, though, in using beer as, as an example, we have an existing program, Bitaculture, that relies heavily on the study of fermentation and yeast. So conceivably, as I follow this, one could look at the fermentation uh what we're teaching in fermentation in that particular course that covers fermentation science and the, the curriculum committee and working on up could look at that, maybe expanding maybe another section that says, okay, we're, we're studying yeast as an example, which has nothing to do with beer making, but very appropriate to winemaking and then something like that. Process. So then you would, you would, you would, um, might, and and I, I know I'm no 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 I was just gonna uh, it's just beer is more complicated than wine but the study of yeast is is a, a critical to both so if you did one could you then expand that so 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 that might be transferable to Davis as an example to study beer I'm just confused how we got to curriculum process no no <laughs> it's just it just just that um, there was a career. Um, a piece on um, viticulture on biodynamics. Okay, we don't teach that, but you could cover it in general viticulture, correct, and then have a Section A. Well, I guess all of this would have to be a conversation with our discipline expert, which is Paul Osbedarzik, and and Merrick, if in fact that's something that they want to pursue. And I want to clarify also that we're called talking about process, but part of the process is whether we as a faculty believe that this is a program we want to have. This isn't, oh, we're going to check a box and we're going to check a few more boxes and then it's a go and that's just the holdup. Again, um, number one under 10 plus one is that curriculum lives with faculty. And we have a very rigorous process by which we determine whether we have facilities, whether we have staff and space for a new program. And so it's not, a, it's not a kind of rubber stamping. And that conversation is ongoing currently right now. And so, but again, back to your point, um, that would be something that I would not be in a position to know or be able to tell you. Y- yes, I, and I understand. I, I just wanted to big picture it. Uh, since we're, we got on that topic, so let's go back to topic, which is advocacy efforts, and and uh... and really, I apologize for <laughs> initiating that, which was exactly what I keep telling you we shouldn't be doing. Um, then the question was really answered. We already have a committee, so it, it's I guess simply identifying those issues that the board wants to advocate to the legislature, for example, about, and and doing that. So, so, so it, it comes down to the, the colleges and communities uh, talking points that we need that we could help as trustees and and work towards a. It seems a solution. Yeah. It seems like the first step, whether you know, is to take a stand on you know that. We support a piece of legislation. So is that supposed to come through the legislative subcommittee, that they first take a stand and then they bring it to us and we take That's a stand? Right. And then okay. we recommend it. We and then we can go to our state legislatures, mm-hmm. uh, legislators and advocate for it. 
we on to the next one? E, institutional effectiveness. So I, I think, uh, everybody knows I have, yeah, I have a concern about that one, but I've already expressed it yes. when they were adopted last year and this year about them being data-driven and measurable. I'm good on moving to F, educational programs and quality. Your comments? I think we're doing a good job on that. I think this is a perfect example of the fact that there's discussion going on at the, the campus and the district. So. Yeah, I would, I, would, I would say that the board is pretty aware, and it's maybe because we went through accreditation process and we've been talking a lot about this, but, you know, you would have to say, are you unaware or aware of how you would monitor quality, the indices that you would see? And we've certainly pointed to all the data metrics and, and on Rippy's website and a lot of those drill-down things that would allow you to see that. And, and, and I think along with Chris Farmer used to do these reports for us, um, but, you know, the, it will still come out of, out of research. And if the board wants um, more of those kinds of things or a different look, that would be very appropriate. I see Gabriel. And I think... Gabriel Sanchez. I had a quick question. I was wondering, um, is the reason that data-driven is in square brackets because it's a proposed change to it or because otherwise it makes the language sound kind of weird? I think that's supposed to come off. That was when we we added that in when we approved these, and it didn't come off. It's a typo. Sorry. <laughs> Keep on going. I think um, just a positive. The F two, um, I I did see in the student equity plan this year, good use of data as far as where the students are at, and then um, plans to. Uh, improve student success and how they would do it. So I thought that was an example of where um, data was used to um, kind of see, get some baseline data in terms of student success and then how to push forward. And so that was, that was a good example of that. Moving right along, any other comments? GI kind of goes back to something we've already talked about. Ensure, it's again that word ensure in the graded planning and budget process. Um, but I, th I think we already talked about it. Um, I mean, the only way in the end we'd really, besides maybe being there throughout the process, um, is there any way to see, because we know that all of the different um, line items were linked to a planning priority, are we... Can, is there any way we can see the budget at that level? Like, is it available to actually see the linkages between? I know that this case is just the augmentation, but even that's something. Um, or so that really. that is being presented to the planning committee tomorrow, and so that will be available next week. On the planning committee website, or? Well, after the planning committee meets, yes, it oh, will okay. be. It will be part of the document shared with the planning committee. And then also related to that one, human resources plan is up there. Um, for the budget, it didn't reference the human resources plan. So I'm just wondering if that's still happening. Cause 
I think it is related to budget, obviously, because hiring, one of our issues was position control. So having like a broad plan of where we're going in terms of human resources, is that still being developed? Yes. Um, I mean, basically, the, the most evidence is that is the organizational structure. So when you're really looking at an organizational chart, that's either it's kind of worked its way through, then you're really looking at a staffing plan. It's just the visual representation of that staffing plan. Um, there have also been some, I think, really nice policy decisions that have been made along the way. We're, we're continuing to move towards a position control piece, um, and policies have put in place based on this board's input over the past um, two years, actually. So I think you're doing a good job there. Is that something that will come to us for approval, a human resources plan? or I, I guess I'm just going no, back I'm to the different reorganizations the, um, that have happened. Yeah, it may be that you, contextually you might be thinking, I, I'm not sure what the high school district does, whether I would doubt, though, that they would have a comprehensive human resources plan for the entire district. Um, so ours is a compilation, if you will, of kind of different kinds of sheets. You know, um, I think at some point we will we'll probably codify all that in a, one tidy package, but it's continuing. It's very dynamic. Um, it's about the best I can do tonight for you. Is but, it but, yeah. possible, Mr. Chair, just to... Take a few minutes for us to each read through these if we haven't for some reason, even though we got this before. And just if there's anything that we need to comment as far as maybe suggesting changes, do that. Rather we'll take than until 6.15 to take a look at it, and then we'll pick it up again. I ask you to remain at your seats and uh, do your work. Request or right, working recess. To, so that's like a movement to take a. Do we have to vote? <laughs> All right. I think we're almost done. Aren't we? Almost done. Okay. All right. We'll continue then. So. Oh. That's sufficient time, Kyle. Yeah, I I just thought that we could. Do we need to go through and talk about specifics on each one, or do we just need to look at it from a goals per, goal perspective? Because we, if you have co if comments on either uh, either item, all the way down. I don't. All right. I, do, I no. I think that we the goals are in line with what they should continue to be. Joanne. Well, don't get me started. I, you know, we all knew this was going to be on the agenda. We've all had it on our computers. So uh, it's embarrassing that, uh, you know, we're. Uh, it appears that nobody's reviewed it thoroughly. So anyway, uh, yeah. I only have I'm one fine. last comment on G two, and then I'm done. It. Um, yes. Go ahead. So provide policy-level direction to maintain an adequate financial reserve. Right now, our board policy just says that we'll maintain the legally mandated 5% reserve, but yet our planning, like what is it, our budgetary values says that we're to be working towards a 12% reserve, um, which would be two months payroll. So I think that's a policy that I would like to look at to reflect that 
we're working towards the that. The question is, though, do you believe that G2 is something that should be a part of our goals? No, it is a part of our goals. I think we're talking about our progress on it, and I don't think right now that we have a policy that provides direction to maintain an adequate financial reserve because the 5% legally mandated is not adequate. Adequate would be what we've talked about, which is 12%, which is two months payroll. So I think our policy should reflect that. We've, we've had frequent discussions on the amount of reserve. Sorry, I would weigh in and say maybe it's more appropriately, Bob, but I, I would say that you are providing good policy level direction so I'm clear as CEO that I need to keep an adequate financial reserve. Um, as we have conversations with um, cabinet and we have conversations with a budget and then we look, we can kind of forecast of, of the future. I think 12 is, is going to increase and I will probably find, you'll probably find me asking for 20% or more, more in line um, in the future. But we can't afford that right now. It just didn't make great sense. So I, I think in policy, you've, you've got a good policy stance. I think we, you've adopted already the values this, this year, which you went on record for saying 12% already. So you're kind of there. I think in I'm policy, they should be want. consistent. Like the, the budgetary value says 12%, and then our policy says 5%. So, you know, I guess thinking that we should actually say in our policy what we're working towards, which isn't just to maintain the legally mandated 5%, but to be working towards the 12%. It's a, it's a good conversation that might happen. All right. Put a number there. Dan, do you have any comments? Raphael. No, thank you. Probably use some more Robert's rules training and keep the microphone away from me, according to Joanne, so we'll be all right. So moving right along, and we, we've ready to ride that horse now? Okay. Uh, so we're at um, closed session item. And there's no comments section on, uh, public comment section on closed session item? It was in. It was included in the public comment earlier. So we will uh, adjourn to closed session. And we'll return. We expect that it's it's scheduled for about an hour, I think, and good enough. Well, I would. Is it? Oh well, you kind of chaired down. Um, if the board takes action and there are some proposed personnel actions, then that would be a report out. I believe the only action are the hires. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just hang in there. Yeah. yeah. See ya. So, 